Hello and welcome to ELT Time with Garnet Education, where we talk with an industry guest about the hot topics and what's brewing in the ELT community. Hello and welcome to this week's episode about teaching pronunciation for teachers whose first language isn't English. With the help of my guest, Nicola Meldrum, we are here to dispel the myth that non-native speaker teachers can't teach their students pronunciation and to give you reassurance that teaching pronunciation when you are a non-native speaker with an accent is entirely valid. So welcome Nicola, it's really nice to have you here with us today. I wondered if you could tell us a bit about your background and your ELT experience as a teacher. Hi Una and thanks for inviting me to do this podcast. It's um it's lovely to be on on the show with you. Um yeah, I got into ELT um quite a while ago now uh, in 1999 when I did my cert TESOL and then went on to work in various contexts, business English, general English, teaching kids, adults. Um and then after getting my diploma after a few years, I um got into teacher training and taught for years doing cert TESOL training and various other local trainings. I'm I'm based in Barcelona, so most of that was in Barcelona or around in, in Catalonia. And now I'm freelance actually and I, I got a bit into materials writing and methodology writing. And now I'm a teacher trainer and actually the course director on a, a Trinity Dip TESOL course. And that's based in Oxford Teffel in, in Barcelona. So I suppose the Dip Teasel has quite a big focus on pronunciation. And that's when I became more interested in that as a specialist area. And about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I started writing a blog with my colleague Mark McKinnon, who's also a teacher trainer on the diploma and, and a teacher in the universe, the Autonomous University of Barcelona, as it's translated. He was actually, we were having a conversation over lunch the other day that, and I was telling him about, about doing this podcast. And it was very interesting because they have a, a policy at the university in Barcelona um, of diversity and employing teachers from different um, backgrounds. So they have a very mixed group of teachers some whose first language is English and many for whom it's not. And yeah, it was, it was really interesting and, and they do a lot of teacher development and they have a lot of focus on pronunciation. So I think that's, that's quite an encouraging bit of information that I got the other day. Yeah, that, that kind of non-native speakers are um, very valid proponents of teaching pronunciation to students who want to learn English. And are your students all from the Mediterranean? I mean, are, are they Spanish or are they diverse nationalities included in that? Well, um, I do. I still do a bit of teaching, and and some of the students, most of the students are from um, Catalonia, uh, so speak uh-huh. Spanish and Catalan. Um, but sometimes we do have of students from other parts of the world as well, particularly Russia, China, Japan. So um, there, there is quite a mix at the school where I work. And in terms of teacher training, um, I'm really happy to say that the the diploma that we we run has teachers of all different nationalities and first languages. You know, I don't think there's there's any reason to think that if you don't have English as your first language, i.e., you're a native speaker, then then you can't reach those those levels of pronunciation, teaching, and, and knowledge and and expertise. And and how do you um, develop confidence within those teachers who do feel slightly incompetent that they can't replicate a, a kind of 
RP English accent? How do you approach it um, with them? Well, really from the first go, because that often comes up. I, I interview teachers for the course and, and um, in that interview, they often express that as a concern. And so we start talking about it from the, the get-go, really, and, and saying that, you know, that's really no reason. And actually, you can be a better model for your students because maybe um, some received pronunciation accent is a very difficult model for your learners. You know, they're not going to reach that level. And, and you know, what is that anyway? I'm not a, I don't speak RP. I've, I've got a Scottish accent. So actually having a very good model who's a teacher who has the same first language can be very motivating, I think. And of course, and, and they're more aware of the potential problems and pitfalls and areas exactly. that, yeah, that might be, uh, you know, pain points for students. And and um, so what, what kind of training then do you give them in terms of pronunciation? Can you outline the sort of programme that they, they then study? Mm. Yeah, they do um, four weeks on the course of pronunciation. And we start off by looking at some of these questions about how do we integrate pronunciation into lessons in an effective way, um, and they also learn um, the kind of the knowledge that you know they learn about phonology as a subject. So they learn everything from individual sounds right up to suprasegmental features of intonation and sentence stress. So they they learn it all, but um, also there's a big emphasis on how do we actually put this into practice? And so they have to do lots of things like make videos of them demonstrating how to produce a, an individual sound, so explaining and modelling the physical placement of the mouth. Um, um, and they have to answer questions about phonology and they have to write lesson plans where they integrate pronunciation activities into those lessons so there's it covers everything really wow and how do you um get them to imitate the sounds that they have difficulty with or communicate how to teach those sounds is there a specific procedure Mm. well one of the things that we do is um i think you know adrian underhill's um phonemic chart has become so central to a lot of ELT materials and a lot of schools have it in their classrooms. He's got the app now with a kind of American um, and British English. But we also have Adrian Guest on our course and, and, you know, we ask him about that and say, well, you know, I've got a Scottish accent and my accent isn't fully represented on your chart. And maybe someone else has a Birmingham accent or a French accent Mm. or a Chinese accent. Um, and he's he's quite clear about it and says, well, you know, it's it's all about something that's close to that sound, um, which is going to help that that shouldn't become clearer and be able to identify versions of that sound. So often we play with it and we say, well, you know, we've got the oo and the o and the ah, and we encourage teachers to try and mimic different accents, actually. And that's something I do in class. You know, I might be teaching my Spanish learners the long e and i sounds or other sounds and and vowel sounds in particular and say like you know you've got the the short coat as a a Scottish person might say it and coat as an English person might say it and and I ask them which do you prefer which is easier for you so we definitely encourage teachers to play with um, different accents and and be confident at mimicking them for their their learners and saying you know giving it the control over to the learners a little bit of saying you know okay which of these versions is easier for you to produce which do you prefer they're all valid oh, that's very interesting and they so they distinguish between uh, specific sounds and choose the one that they feel is more accessible 
Yeah, exactly. And how do you deal with um, the passage from their own pronunciation, which is obviously influenced by how they speak, to bridging the gap between that and communication, i.e. effective communication using a a clear, clear clearish accent? How do you bridge that gap? Well, I suppose it's like any accent is um, getting them to the point where they're intelligible. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's some research that's been done about the, this um, quite a while ago now by Jennifer Jenkins and Barbara Seidelhofer. They, they um, did some research, mostly um, at university and of university context, to find out what elements of pronunciation were considered core elements for mutual intelligibility and comprehensibility. And they, they said that, you know, all consonant sounds are very important, except maybe the difference between th and th. Um, and they they came up with other elements. So that that is one starting point, I suppose, that teachers can look to and, and students can look to and say, well, you know, these these are quite important things for me to become intelligible. But then I think there's a lot more to it. And it's not just about being intelligible. It's about being effective. And that often means a lot more work at sentence stress level, at intonation level, at connected speech level. So they're not just intelligible in, in that they can produce individual sounds quite effectively to be clear when they speak, um, but that they can actually become effective and get their point across using, you know, we, we use pronunciation so much, don't we, to add to the message. Yes, exactly. And how do you encourage them to, to say, work on intonation um, within sentences? Um, what kind of strategies do you use for that? Um, I use a lot of recording, so I get students to record themselves, and I also do a lot of work where in in pairs and small groups, because often students, especially if if they come from if, if the first language doesn't use intonation to the same extent, every language has intonation in it, but maybe it's different the way they place it, or it's not as exaggerated as English, then. I think doing it with the whole class and, and lots of individual drilling can be quite intimidating. So I try and do work where they learn to exaggerate their intonation and play with it, um, but in a comfortable, safer space. So often doing that in pairs and small groups encourages them to feel a bit more relaxed and to experiment a bit more. Yeah. So you would set a scene and have the working groups and initially model that and then have the students play around with the intonation and I think it's it's important that they get a model as well and and so you know anything to do with with sentence stress and intonation is so connected to the context that you're teaching and so it has all the practice really has to be meaningful and relevant to the context that they're they're learning about that day in the lesson and I strongly believe that pronunciation should always come from the the objectives the language objectives and the communication objectives of a lesson and not just be sort of like the, the old-fashioned prawn slot yeah that yeah. we used to call it when I first started teaching where you just do a random bit of pronunciation so I think you know giving list as you say you know more listening and video um input where they're seeing pronunciation in practice and Video is great because you you know you get the the context across a lot more effectively. Yeah, and how can teachers assess how effective their students' pronunciation is? I mean, if they've 
got them to kind of work on areas that are very difficult through imitation modeling and playing around with the language how can they then identify and um, assess how effective their pronunciation is in a real context well I think the first thing they have to do is when when we're planning lessons is to create enough space in our lessons so that we can listen to our students um, and that means lots of pair work and group work where students are working both in a controlled way on their pronunciation and then trying to also be mindful of it when they're doing a freer activity. And then the teacher has to imagine themselves in that, you know, in that moment and think about how they're going to listen to their students and what exactly they're listening for. So I think when we're planning, we really have to be careful to think about those moments and the you know silly thing not silly things important things like the classroom layout will we be able to hear students what exactly are we listening for so that we zoom in on that so if they're they're working on some specific sounds that's what we listen for when we're monitoring and we have an expectation of of what kind of accuracy we're expecting and when we feedback on that accordingly um either on the spot or afterwards when they finish speaking, if it's something a bit freer. So I think when we're planning, we can really think about that. Um, It's quite difficult to assess, isn't it? Because it's quite subjective. But I think, you know, we can listen to pronunciation and, and know if it's acceptable and intelligible. I don't think we have to come up with too finite a way of, of measuring it. I think it's like anything else. It's it's either quite accurate or not. You know, grammar is quite accurate or not. Uh, word choice is accurate or not. I think pronunciation is the same and, and we can be confident about listening to it and, and saying, okay, I think you need to open your mouth a little bit more there or spread your lips a little bit more there or put your tongue a bit forward or increase your intonation there, not there. Um, or you're putting the stress on the wrong syllable there. Um, but I think if we preempt that and plan it into our lessons then we can assess it in a really focused way and and also if by planning that I think we're a lot more confident about teaching it if we leave it to chance then I think maybe we a lot of teachers skip the pronunciation or don't correct it enough or sufficiently or in depth because they're not they lack confidence in it and how would you correct a student just to clarify further all listeners mm. it, dep- it depends I mean the the rule of thumb is that if if you're doing something quite controlled then you correct them on the spot and there's lots of different techniques you can you know just with some signal or gesture you can prompt self-correction if you think they can do that or you can maybe open up to their peers um, or you can give them some instructions like open your mouth more as I was saying um, or say it louder, higher, longer, or you can um, model it again and get them to try and repeat it by listening to you. So there are lots of different techniques we can use. We can use the board a lot as well. You know, with word stress, we can show the syllables. We can draw pictures of the mouth. We can use lots of visuals. There's lots of great videos out there as well. But this is more for delayed correction, I think. So yeah. Um, if we don't want to interrupt the students on the spot and we want to address a more general problem that you know more than one student has produced, then we can do some delayed correction after the activity, bringing the, the class back to the board. 
Um, and I think a good way to do it is always to ask them a question, not explain it. So sometimes if, um, say, students are having problems with word stress and they're saying hotel instead of hotel, yeah. I might write the word on the board and then say it in both ways and say, which is correct? You know, which syllable is stressed? How many syllables are there? And And teach it through questioning techniques rather than going straight in to listen and repeat and drilling because I think that little just cognitive moment of getting them to think about it can help the pronunciation stick a bit better yeah it's a great tip um, breaking it down and getting them to really sort of own the the word and, and know about it and and then say it yeah, yeah exactly and do you ever direct them to the internet to, to kind of listen to it again or yeah yeah absolutely lots of students now have their phones and as they're learning vocabulary they can um, look it up and, and now they can hear the word not just see it in a dictionary online dictionaries all have the the option to listen to the word which I think is great brilliant I wondered Nicola if, if you had any sort of tips for uh, teachers non-native teachers who do kind of suffer from a bit of a lack of confidence how they they can improve their own pronunciation sort of I mean, you've talked about preparation, which is is really key, going into the classroom. How can they prove their own confidence in their own pronunciation in their own time? Well, a lot of the teachers I speak to on the course say that that one thing that's really helped them improve their pronunciation is watching lots and lots of television programmes and films and sort of almost trying to imitate and shadow as well. Um, short clips even or podcasts as well so listening and trying to shadow the shadows like when you speak along with something and with podcasts it's great because you can actually slow them down a little bit as well and listen to them at like not half the speed but a little bit less some some podcast sites allow you to do that and so the listening really helps feed into their pronunciation and development I think that's one of the best and easiest things that we can do um, and maybe if you're in a class in a, in a staff room environment, a lot of staff room, depending on where you are in the world, there's a lot of different languages going on. And maybe in some staff rooms, there's not a lot of English, but maybe trying to have a bit more English in the staff room is a good way of developing pronunciation. Just having English as the, you know, or even if it's not all the time, just have like a few English hours where people are, are speaking English and and helping each other with their pronunciation. I know that that's something that happens here a lot in primary and secondary schools in Barcelona, where there might be a lot of English teachers, you know, and they have their meetings um, once a week. They usually have a meeting at lunchtime in one of the schools I've, I've been working in. So, well, you know, have your meeting in English and, and correct each other's pronunciation, help each other, ask questions. And don't just leave your English to the classroom. Kind of English hour where you're you're sort of working together. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And um, I don't know if you can um, pinpoint some key pronunciation issues that people have across the board. Is that a very difficult thing to do? I know there's lots of variants within different nationalities. Um, have you got any particular nationalities in mind? Uh, yeah, uh, Middle Eastern students. Do you know anything about any difficulties they might have and how to, to address those? Yeah, because we um, through the, the course that I run, a lot of teachers do um, action research into pronunciation. And so a few things that they've looked at with Middle Eastern students are the problems between P and B and V and F. So that the voicing, basically, of those four consonants 
because um, Middle Eastern Arabic speakers have, have problems with the voicing of those those consonants, so they mix them up. So instead of park, they will say bark. And so I think there's lots of um, work to be done with the physicality. Sometimes we jump straight into doing minimal pair work, which is is great, but we need to backpedal and start off by getting them to hear the difference and then see the difference and feel the difference. I think those three verbs are good to like see, feel and hear before you say it. You know, they can look at the letters and see that there's a relationship between the, the spelling and the sound. Um, they can listen to us say the two sounds and then start to see where our lips and our teeth are. And then they can um, try and produce that themselves and feel it in their own mouths and then try and do some minimal pair activities. There are loads. If, if you type minimal pair activities into search engines, I'm sure lots and lots of activities come up. But I think work needs to be done before those kind of activities um, and then stuff has to be done after that as well, where maybe it's extended into a more communicative task where they maybe have to write some questions using some of the words or create some tongue twisters or something where they're they're using the words in a longer utterance or in a communicative activity. So that's great for um, individual sounds. And if I can just ask you, Nicola, just kind of as we're drawing to a close, what your top tips would be for teachers, non-native speaker teachers who are teaching pronunciation? Have you got any top tips, say three or four, that you could give them? Yeah, I think number one would be to start finding the pronunciation in your lessons and trying to um, teach like one thing each lesson don't try to address too many things so that you have time to prepare that thing and feel um, confident going into a lesson so say it's individual you know you're teaching some language you think well you know I think my students are going to find these five words difficult to hear and say and some of the common sounds in those words are these three or four vowel sounds for example and you can then go off and think, right, okay, how am I going to teach these to show them how to produce them physically? Am I going to draw pictures on the board? How can I get them to distinguish between the sounds? So you just, that's all you're doing that, that lesson. So when you're planning, uh, find the pronunciation point that you want to teach and prepare a small, short activity where you're getting the students to hear and feel the sounds. Then you can do listen and repeat, even if it's just that, and then try and build in some activities if you can as well. Um, the second is, I suppose, lose that um, fear of pronunciation. Start reading about it and learn about phonology a little bit more as a subject because I think what happens is when we start teaching, we often use course books and ELT resources which are all great uh, but if you look at the contents page of a, a course book you'll see lots of terms and terminology related to grammar and vocabulary but not about phonology they're not saying oh in this lesson you're going to learn elision yeah. of the d and the t it's just the language isn't in there so teachers don't learn about phonology as they do about grammar and about vocabulary so I think go and read a little bit more about phonology and that will boost your confidence as well and reach out to um, other teachers in the staff room what we do on the dip is we team up people a lot because we find on the CERT so we find that um, native speakers of English can be really helpful when it comes to pronunciation 
or just more proficient speakers of English. I, I don't really like the term native and non-native. I'm trying to move away from it. And um, people who've learned English as a second language can really help other teachers with grammar. So we kind of, you know, if, if find your strengths in the, in the staff room and, and don't feel shy to ask for help as well and feel that you can bring something to the table as well with your language learning experience. It's great to share the knowledge and boost each other's confidence, really. Exactly. And also my final point would be to trust in your learners and don't feel that you have to be this kind of expert, RP-sounding model, but that you and your learners are on this journey together. And, and often I get the students in the class to actually be the model for each other. I find that there's always one student who's really good at pronunciation <laughs> and they then become the model for those who aren't as good, you know, so they that's their strength and their moment to shine. So instead of me drilling and leading the pronunciation work, sometimes I ask students to be the, the star of pronunciation for that that lesson. So I think teachers can trust in their learners as well to learn it for themselves and not feel that they always have to be the explainers and the teachers in the traditional sense that's yeah that's a great idea and you boost confidence you can help the other students in the class and you've got some student taking the lead that's that's a great idea lovely thank you nika that's incredibly interesting helpful and some really great tips and ideas there for for teachers who maybe don't feel as confident in this area as others um i think you said you'd be uploading some of your materials for us so teachers can come and look and and maybe consult those yeah sure we've also got a blog so we can link to that and there's lots and lots of ideas there but yes i'm more than happy to to help with some materials and other um tips as well that's lovely. Yeah, so we will put those on our um, online site and there's kind of details about that at the end of the podcast. Um, I just wanted to thank uh, Nicola again for her time and expertise. You're welcome. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Nicola. And um, I hope it's been helpful for everybody listening and do keep in touch with us and let us know how you're getting on. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. And that's it from us today. If you'd like to get in touch or to see our latest updates, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Garnet Education or head to garneteducation.com forward slash podcast for show notes and information about today's guest. Thanks for listening.